Come, Holy Spirit. I'm just going to pray to begin as we hear from the Word of God. Father, I do thank you that we are back together. Thank you that your Spirit is among us. Thank you that you love it when we dwell together. Thank you that, we, that you love it, that when your people come, when your people come and sing, we sang about it earlier, when your people come to worship you, Lord, things happen. You move, your presence descends, and we just thank you for that. We pray again, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill this place with your presence. Speak to us through your eternal word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here we are. Uh, We are number four of Church as Family, a series that we've started earlier in September. And uh, just a quick summary for you. You're part of a bigger picture. I normally hold the puzzle piece up today. I just thought I'd give you a break from that this time. But um, we have done three things so far. We've talked about a three-word destination as a church, what we're aiming for, and they're qualitative things. We want to be loving, we want to be authentic, and we want to be family. And that's what I've sensed God calling us to as a church in this time. And uh, on the second week, we talked about being all together like Jesus with his family and community uh, in those early years, raised up and taken to the temple. And then last week, we talked all about grace-filled family and how remembering the gospel of grace enables greater love for God and for each other, as well as permitting us to be completely authentic because we are free, innocent, and so on. And that makes us automatically counter-cultural because the rest of the world doesn't have this wonderful supernatural God living in their hearts. And it was a wonderful thing to talk about it. And we didn't manage to squeeze the whole doctrine of grace into one talk, which I'm sorry about, uh, but we will get into that doctrine again at some point and talk more and more about grace. And so we're into episode four. Uh, Episode four is all about dwelling in unity and it's all about Jesus, redefining family. And they're the two parts I've got today. We're going to look at what it means to be redefined as a family, and we're going to look at what it means to be dwelling in unity as brothers and sisters seeking to do the will of our Father, once again, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And today, we're starting in the Old Testament with the psalm, and then we're going to jump to the New Testament with Jesus. But first, has anyone ever been made to sit down by an elder relative in their family and watch old videos of themselves, or look at old photos of yourself? Has anyone ever been made to look at old photos of yourself when someone that you're trying to impress has been in the room as well? Yes. Well, um, blessed are you if that hasn't happened to you yet. Um, It might do at some point. And I've got an old video for you to watch today, he says, (laughs) with with tension in his voice. And so we're going to watch Psalm 133 um, enacted by King's Church family members. So if someone hits the lights, the video should come. Uh, Psalm 133, take one. Okay. Do we have some brothers in unity? Aha, check. Lovely, very united. Uh, Do we have a large quantity of very precious oil? Ah, tricky one. Aha, something we prepared earlier. Right there to hand. Very handy, good. Okay. Uh, Check. Do we have a head? Oh, Uh, hold a minute. Uh, two heads, two heads. Ah, two heads are better than one. Not in this case. We need one head. Okay, there's a bit of clue here. Do we have a head with a beard? Uh, no, no. Aha, we do. Ah, oh, self-selecting. There it is. The head with a beard. Wonderful. Well, we're off. Okay. Now what we need? We need robes. Robes. Nice, posh-looking kind of priestly garments. Beautiful. Oh, that that one with the stripes will do. Yeah. Check, or rather, stripes. Um, do we, oh, right, uh, here we go. This is it, the big one. 
We need oil running down on the beard and on the collar of his robes. Can we do that, please? Okay, here we go. Yeah, check. There we go. Oh, that is beautiful. Oh, look at that. This is Psalm 133 in action. Look at this. Let's get a close-up. Beard, is it in the beard, please? Can we just make sure it's in the beard? Yeah, rubbed in. No wonder your complexion. Oh, it's in the beard. No wonder you've got a good complexion, Quincy. Now we know the secret. Hold on, we've got to check the collar. Have we got it coming down the collar? Can I just check that, please? Yeah, dripping down the collar and down the beard. Bit more on the collar there, please. Oh, yes. Beautiful. Wonderful, wonderful. There you go. Psalm 133. And do we still have brothers dwelling in unity? Oh, we do. Yeah, kind of, sort of. Not quite, almost. There we are. Thank you. <laughs> uh, like I say, old family videos. Don't you love them? <laughs> Somehow in that video, uh, I managed to be much slimmer than I am right now as well, which is fantastic. And, uh, and uh, evidently, it was quite a long time ago because I had much more hair on the top of my head. Anyway, fantastic. Brothers dwelling in unity. In case you thought that was a joke, there is an actual psalm about this. Uh, 133 is read like this. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard. On the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Great psalm. This is a psalm written by David, King David from the Old Testament. And it's one of 15 psalms that they would have used uh, as a song of ascent, a song of going up, ascent. As they went up to Jerusalem, they'd then get to the temple and go up the steps uh, into that same temple. In those first two lines, they're celebratory. They say, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. You see, it says it's good to be together. It's good like the dew mentioned in verse 3. Dew, as you know, is refreshing and life-giving, and it is pleasant, like the fragrant oil that would have been poured, unlike that oil, which was not fragrant at all, uh, on the head of a priest. It would have smelled wonderful. The aroma would have filled the temple. And it's good and pleasant. And it literally means that word uh, in unity, dwelling together. It means to sit, to remain, to, to be together, united. Now, at the moment in our news headlines all the time, what we seem to get is reports of disunity in all sorts of spheres. But generally, the opposite of that, unity, is celebrated in many, many contexts. So unity at a football stadium, when people chant and cheer and sing. Unity when you're part of a team uh, is also a really powerful uh, thing. And I, I've had this experience uh, when I was away uh, traveling many years ago uh, in San Diego with my friend um, Craig. We went to a church there and they said, hey guys, do you want to come and play beach volleyball? We were like, okay, we shall come with you with our bottles and, uh, and bottles of water ready to be hot, and especially on the beach, and play beach volleyball. And we were playing this game, beach volleyball, never really played it much before, and we were losing, and the other team were like, all these massive blokes, like, and, and really fit people from the church. And uh, we decided as a team, Craig and I and a couple of others, uh, that we would just start to celebrate everything. So whether we duffed the ball into the net, 
or hit the ball out or got it in the, in the actual pitch or the whatever, within the lines, we would just celebrate everything. And so what we decided to do was like, every time we went over, if we missed the point, we go, yeah, come on, and we all high five and jump and like that, just stupidly enthusiastically. And then, and then if, we, if, we got, if we missed the point again or whatever, we just go, yeah, come on. And the other team were like utterly bewildered and started to lose it. They literally, in the game, in the, in the decider, they couldn't get the ball to land anywhere in our square. And we won by a margin. Uh, this match, two Englishmen in San Diego don't have a beach like that anywhere near us, and these other couple of guys. And it wasn't because we were really good or anything. We just seen, it just seemed to get to them that we were able to celebrate everything. And if you've had that experience, you'll know that it's often in adversity when things get difficult that people just come together. And it was a decision. I can't highlight that enough. It was a decision to celebrate everything, regardless of how it went down. And just phenomenally, I think it was that that tipped the balance, and we won the game. And we've got to do, we've got to do that. As a church family, we've got to do that. We've got to celebrate together. We've got to weep together. We've got to mourn together. We've got to do lots of things as we dwell in unity. And it's a, it's a wonderfully celebratory psalm, this. It's also inclusive, because dwelling in unity could also mean dwell together. And, uh, and it was extended back then in the Old Testament to all the Israelites of the day, whether they were good or bad, they were all included as even, even debtors, even slaves, even offenders were still considered brothers in the sight of God, even in the Old Testament there. And see, the psalm speaks of this wonderful moment of anointing a priest. It's a vivid, it's a vivid picture, and it's meant to be, because first the oil touches the head, droops down the beard, and then the robes, as you saw, it trickles right down. And it, it speaks of a oneness that's created, describing this wonderful moment where the oil enables the, the body to be differentiated from the robes, but at the same time, integrated. Differentiated, se- separated, but also integrated at the same time, like the priest and his robes as the oil comes down. And it's wonderful because they're separate entities, but they're made one by that oil as it drips upon the head and down. And the psalm sings of living up to this, it's essentially an ideal, it's, it's an ideal thing for unity and togetherness. And it does give a real depth to that word that's emphasized in that psalm, which is together. And that's really what we've been emphasizing through this series. And in this psalm, consistently, just like the book of Jonah, there's a, a distinct directional pattern. If you've ever read the book of Jonah, you'll know that Jonah goes down, 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 down to Tarshish, down to the bottom of the ship, down to the bottom of the ocean, down, down, down. And then the second half of Jonah goes up from the fish, up to Nineveh, up, up, up to the hill outside. He goes up, 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 and it's got this directional flow. And in the, in the Psalm 133, there is also this direction. The, the oil runs down, 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 head, beard, robes, and it's paralleled with the proverbial dew coming down from heaven, down from the clouds, onto Mount Hermon, which is the highest mountain in Israel. And that dew lands on the smaller mountain, Mount Zion, and they both receive the same blessing from above, just like we receive the same spirit, high or low. And it's, again, a beautiful picture of oneness, and it affects all of us. For where that oneness exists, the Lord's blessing is found and commanded even and it's a wonderful reminder that the fact when people gather to worship him like we have today, that it is inevitable. And I do pray and hope that you have felt blessed already today by some of the things God has drawn out, even in our song worship, even in our testimonies and so on. 
That's my hope and prayer for you today. And I just want to let you know something as well that's exciting, uh, that we are going to go up, up, up to Otford Manor. Hooray! In 2023, we're going to take a church family weekend away, 16th to the 18th of June. And uh, we really want you to block that out in your diary right now so that you can join us. So as we go up, up, up and ascend the hill to Otford Manor, which is a lovely manor house on the, on the North Downs, overlooking that kind of wonderful area of Kent and so on. It's a beautiful place to be. It's a wonderful place to worship. And we want to be all together there next June. Um, so please do book that out in your diary. So that was just a little aside. Back to the psalm. So when it was written, God's people worshipped one God, Yahweh, unlike the other nations who had many gods. And Yahweh was experienced in particular places at particular times across the generations of Israel, but remained invisible. And when we get to the New Testament, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and he becomes what it says in Colossians, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He comes down, down, down from heaven to earth to be among us, which brings us to part number two, Jesus, redefining family. You see, Psalm 133 is inclusive. It names all of those in Israel as brothers, but Jesus, he comes along and he expands the concept of unity and family in a new way. It's like a moment where Jesus encourages us to change the way we think. You might have read in the Gospels before when Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. It's kind of one of those moments. And so in Matthew 12, 46 to 50, it says this. Jesus has been teaching. Uh, the, the, sorry, I didn't say that. That's my introduction. Jesus has been teaching. This is the context. Jesus has been teaching and some Pharisees begin to ask him questions. And then he's mid-message, a bit like this right now. Uh, when, when this happens in, in Matthew 12. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside, wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his, to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You see, Jesus' biological family, they've come to talk to him, and presumably they just can't get in because the crowds around the house are too big. But someone gets in, someone wiggles through, and, uh, and they say to, to him, hey, look, they're outside. And, and Jesus actually replies in answer to his own questions. He says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And looking at his disciples, pointing at them, he declares that those who have joined themselves to him in service to God have become family. He's He's not saying that biological family are not important. They, they are. I mean, after all, you read on in the Gospels, on the cross, Jesus looks down and there's John, one of his best friends, and his mum. And as Jesus is dying on the cross, he says to, the, to them, behold your son, mother, behold him. And uh, John, behold, she's now your mother. He puts them together and, so, and calls them these familial names deliberately. It's, it's uh, obvious that he's not trying to bag out the, the biological family, but he sets about expanding the definition. And he's wonderfully inclusive when he does this. He says, whoever does the will of my father. And that means it's open to anyone. It's a relationship with the heavenly father that constitutes the membership in the family. And so in a culture then, when loyalty to your biological family was really, really, really important, Jesus comes along and turns it on its head and changes the definition. And those with Jesus have that common aim now to do 
the will of their Father in heaven. In fact, we do pray it. He taught them to pray, your will be done, Father. And in order to do it, we need to pursue it. But just like any team sport, when a group of people are bonded around a common purpose, they have that sense of belonging and identity, which fuels the flames, if you like, of unity. And it tends to be, again, exaggerated when they face adversity. And I was in a match once that used to play hockey quite a bit. I would love to play some more hockey again one day. But uh, we were 3-0 down uh, to a team at halftime, and we had a bit of a team talk. And sometimes the guys would come to me around the circle and say, anyone got anything I want to say? And the, I mean, the team that we were playing were dressed completely in bright pink. And I was lonely in my early 20s, and all I could think to say was, come on, lads, we can't lose to a team in pink. That, that's all I could think to say. Didn't have anything else. Don't think it made much difference. But then, do you know what? We played the second half, scored three goals, and scored the fourth one in the last minute. And we won the match. <laughs> but it was a silly thing. It was a silly moment. But it was a common purpose, identity, and belonging that drives this along. And so these disciples have a common aim, but the key to them being family is relationship to, through Jesus to the Father. In him, they become sons and daughters like us. Now, when Jesus said these things, I imagine his disciples would have been a bit confused again. They may have asked, well, what does he mean by that? And how can anyone know the will of God aside from what we read in the law? That's the scriptures they had at the time. And Jesus is introducing here a radical new concept for them. It would have been tricky perhaps to understand initially, linking everyone to God through himself. But the wonderful truth is that that's now extended to this present time, the principle remains. It might have been news for the Jews back then, and alarming and radical and different to say, actually, now this is my family, but actually that now applies to us. But Jesus knew what he was doing. <laughs> I'm sure you've read the Gospels before and you thought, he really does know what he's doing. And he, he does, because it might have seemed abstract in the moment he said it, but Jesus knew what was to come. He knew that once he had been glorified, died on the cross, risen from the grave, and ascended into heaven, that he would send the Holy Spirit. He knew that the Holy Spirit would come from above, down, 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 and reside in those who believe in him supernaturally. And he, just like the oil in the psalm, he knew it would bind them together, differentiated from one another because we're all individuals in that sense, but also then integrated in the love and the Spirit of God. And we read about it a few weeks ago in Acts 2, the wonderful effects of this truth that the Spirit binds people together in the love of God. And then you see it across the, the New Testament. And, and often Paul the Apostle, one of the main, the main writer really in the New Testament, reminds the churches he's writing to about this truth that we are together and that we are to love one another. And that phrase, one another, crops up a hundred times in the New Testament. And 59 of those times occur 59 of those that occur are specific commands teaching us how and how not to relate to one another. Um, and, and some of those commands are like this. It says, love one another. It says, honor one another above yourselves. It says, be patient with one another, comfort one another, care for one another. And that's just to name a few. And it's these commands which are in keeping with our Father's will that when obeyed, they glorify God and blessing comes as a result as we dwell in unity. But you might wonder, well, okay, so there's 59 of these commands. Uh, um, what do they look like on the ground? And what are the challenges, therefore, of living up to this different definition, living out this different, different definition of family to your classic one? 
Um, and there's a guy who's written about this, he's written a lot. Um, he's called Ed Shaw, he's from Bristol, and he's written a book that I really like. It's called The Plausibility Problem. And, and Ed, in his book, proposes some missteps that the church has made when it comes to making life um, as a same-sex attracted disciple of Jesus plausible for someone in his position. You see, Ed Shaw is a disciple of Jesus who has chosen to surrender his life. He's made all of his life subject to Jesus, including his sexual preference, including everything uh, in, that he has materially. He's single, and therefore he knows that he won't share in companionship of a marriage partner. He knows that he won't have children of his own, and he knows that he won't get to enjoy all the nuanced joys and challenges that come with all of those things. And actually, in his book, he tells of how, how lonely and difficult it can be for him and others when someone is not part of a typical biological family unit consisting of dad, mum, and children. And I just want to read you a little quote from, from his second chapter. I'm going to give you two of these, but this is the first one. Uh, he's just commenting on this. He says, it can, be incredibly, it can be an incredibly lonely life, unless, that is, we take Jesus' definition of family and really live it. Unless we notice Paul's experience of family and work together to copy it. Unless we wake up to the radical New Testament idea that church really is family and that mum, dad, and 2.4 children as the only family is just an unhealthy late 20th century construct. After all, before that, most people lived in larger intergenerational family groups. And that's just a little excerpt, but the whole thing is really, really powerful. It impacted me. Highly recommend reading his book if you've got the time to do that. Because he describes this problem and explains how we're all part of the solution. It's, it's not a book that you read and you think, this guy's just having a moan. No, he, he has really zoomed out on this and, and put time towards um, trying to help, um, encourage uh, us to re-look at these things. And later in the book, his, he describes his experience in his own church family life now uh, rather than what it was before. And he describes how it changed over time when they started to talk about this as a culture and as a thing uh, that is really important uh, doing life as family, he described uh, the, some, some things that changed in his life. He described the fact that uh, people in his church family started to phone him up saying, we're going to the movies on Wednesday, we're going to see a film in the cinema. Hey, we're going along. Do you want to come? And then others, uh, perhaps in his life um, that he'd mentioned, that he found life difficult. Or I think one of the things he said in the book actually was that he'd go to a, a prayer meeting or a church function of some kind. He'd get home and obviously he's just going home and, and no one else would be in the house. And so one of the people in the church offered to phone him when he got home after those meetings and just talk to him a bit before he went off to bed, and, and that was wonderful. He, he described another thing where he got invited by uh, families that do have kids to go and read kids' stories to them uh, and other things like that, really touching, really wonderful things that they've intentionally done to, to facilitate that. He's actually got 14 godchildren, is another thing he said, which I thought was fun and good as well. He highlights not just the benefits to himself, though. He actually goes on to highlight all the benefits of living this way uh, for everybody. And so I'll just quote him again to you shortly. He says, and crucially, this new family benefits us all. There is give and take from all of us, all of the time. It strengthens single people, but it also strengthens marriages. It allows children to grow up in an environment where there are multiple adults parenting them. It's not perfect. There are constant ups and downs, and all human relationships get messy at times, but they are a mess worth making. But when it works, it's the most beautiful of all experiences for all of us. And he says, I pinch myself sometimes. That's how good it's got 
over there for him in that context. And he, I know he's just one individual, but I wanted to draw out his story a little bit for you because I would love that. I, I think that's what we're aiming at, to be frank. I think that's what we're going for. It is, in fact, what we're going for, to be loving, authentic church family, highly motivated to take this definition from Jesus and live it out day to day. But, of course, these things are easier said than done. Life is intensely busy, and I do want to be really sensitive here again because I know there's going to be some people out there who, who may, feel, may really feel the benefit of some of those things that I just described from Ed. I mean, he spends two pages listing things that have changed now for him, which are great. But I know this is, this is going to benefit lots of people, but actually others will find this quite difficult at the same time because for those who may have grown up in a, in a tight-knit biological family, uh, where there wasn't a great deal of overlap with other people's lives, this might feel really odd. Or, or perhaps just for those that might feel like they're, a bit pri- they're more private, that it might just feel quite unnatural. And again, I, I would never force anyone to do anything like this. It's, it's just acknowledging that, I think, and being sensitive to that that's really important as well. Um, and just as a, a more real-time example, a friend of mine now living overseas uh, discovered that that in other cultures, they, they do do this, uh, that there's, there is overlap in life um, in a different way to perhaps what, what we might be used to. In the church she was in, a couple invited, them, invited her to go on holiday with them. And uh, when asking about her reflection, she said she found it really weird. But they found it totally normal, but she found it really refreshing at the same time. So it, it was interesting to hear that example. And so there are challenges there, but there's also invitation to, to get involved and choose to live these overlapping lives that involve sacrifice of time and effort and money. And there is blessing to be found, I believe, in this. <laughs> He's all right. And um, <laughs> don't worry, Mary. It's all right. Thank you. Uh, no problems. Uh, <laughs> overlapping life <laughs> in real life. Thank you, though. Um, I think there is real blessing to be found here. I really do. I really believe that when we dwell together in unity in daily life, not just on a Sunday, uh, that there will be blessing as described in Psalm 133. And once again, the wonderful thing about this is we don't get there by, by me reeling off a load of examples and saying, hey, why don't you try this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you give a go at this? Because, because actually I think that's what I could do at this moment. I'm quite a natural, uh, practical person. I would probably say, so, as a result of what we just heard, we're going to do this, 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 this. But I really felt, felt held up in the spirit uh, when writing this ending, particularly because I really think it's God that will do this within us. And so I really think it's important that we seek the will of our Father in heaven regarding this while remembering we're a grace-filled family and that duty doesn't exist. It's a choice. There's always a choice when it comes to grace. And so what I'm going to do now is just give us a moment um, to pause before God in the quiet and, and ask him to show us what he might like us to do to pursue this out, out of our own choice. Um, and that's intensely personal. That's important uh, to do. So let's just pause for a minute. Just ask him. And then I'll start talking again.
Father, I pray that you would help us pursue this and dwell in unity regularly. I pray that we get more time now to seek you and, and hear you on what you might like us to do. I pray you just drop thoughts and ideas into our hearts and minds in these coming weeks, Lord, and I pray you would command your blessing upon us as we pursue your will. We want to do the will of our Father in this church family. And, and that is our sincere prayer to you today. Your kingdom, we want to come. And your will, we want to be done. For your glory and our joy. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to stop there. Um, and we are going to do an